This Israel report is brought to you by the Blue Agency. Your Israel property is in good hands. Owning properties in Israel can be a great investment, but challenging to manage if you're based abroad. The Blue Agency will manage every aspect of your property, finding and vetting tenants, maintaining your property and getting it rental ready, negotiating contracts and collecting rentals, reporting back to you regularly. The Blue Agency has built a reputation for trust and confidentiality over 20 years. The Blue Agency, your Israel property is in good hands. Contact us at www.thebueagency.com. The Israel Report for the latest news and insights with Anthony Reich. Anthony Reich, Bukatov, good morning. How are you? Bukatov, yes, so many little snippets to talk about. Um, I wanted to start by uh, addressing uh, some of the comments that were made by President Herzog yesterday. Mm -hmm. And his comment that he made was that anti-Semitism it is not a Jewish problem. He says that anti-Semitism is a human problem, a prominent problem for the entire humanity. And I just wanted to put that comment out there to the listeners because I'm sure that people will have a think about it. And while I agree that, of course, it is a human problem uh, perpetrated by people who are not Jews, but ultimately, at the end of the day, it kind of becomes a Jewish problem, don't you think? Yeah, amazing. That that is is absolutely right, uh, no question. Um, in what? W- w- yeah. Where was he speaking when he made these comments? Um, he was he was speaking um, at a virtual conference that was organised by the Jerusalem Post called ah. Second Front, mm-hmm. um, and um, I'm sure that this uh, is available online to those people who might be interested in uh, looking out for it. Um, but he was uh, talking about the issue of anti-Semitism. And the comment, that little tagline that he used, that anti-Semitism is not a Jewish issue or a Jewish problem, but it's a human problem, a problem for the mm, entire mm, humanity. Mm. Um, you know, I, 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 it gave me some, some food for thought. The other thing that I just wanted to um, raise up was the whole process that we saw last week of the exchange of hostages. And the one thing that was so striking was the process that Hamas, the, the cynicism that Hamas used uh, in the exchange of the hostage process. They made sure that the exchange, that the handover of the hostages to the International Committee of the Red Cross was done under the camera lights. So mm-hmm. that was all mm-hmm. being filmed. And a lot of it was even being shown live on TV as it was happening. You see these Hamas terrorists with um, their faces covered fully armed in combat gear, taking people out of their vehicles. And and one of the things that was noticeable was that every hostage who came out of that vehicle was carrying a little bottle of water, as if though they'd just been to a massage at a mm, luxury mm. I did notice that, actually, and, and I was wondering who gave them that water, uh, the bottled water. Oh, because, that was, uh, that yeah. was so constructed, it was mm. just so choreographed that they were carrying this bottle of water with them. Um, and considering the fact that many of them had been kept in captivity without access to water, and most of them hadn't been able to shower, wash their clothes in an entire 50-day period, and yet this little bottle of water was kind of symbolic of trying to portray to the world about how they were treated, and there were little hand waves and gestures to make out as if though there was friendliness, 
but there was one young lady whose name unfortunately escapes me right now, but she was quite aggressive. She kind of shrugged her shoulders as they tried to approach her. She grabbed hold of one of the, the hostages who was being released, put her arm around her, and she walked off very, very indignantly into the car of the, uh, the Red Cross, and she became something of um, a social media hero because a lot of people raised up that little action of her shrugging her shoulders and kind of being quite aggressive in, uh, in a, her body language was very aggressive towards the Hamas people who were trying to be friendly and hand her over under the lights of the cameras if though this was all being uh, done in a very friendly mm. way and kind of, you know, they befriended each other sort of Stockholm Syndrome almost situation. Um, but clearly very, very choreographed, and I just wondered if any of the listeners had noticed that. And while we're already talking about the Red Cross, and the president of the International Committee of the Red Cross was yesterday in Gaza, and she made a, a video statement where she spoke a lot about the conditions in Gaza, and she spoke a lot about humanitarian assistance for people in Gaza. She made a fleeting reference to the hostages and her reference to the hostages said that she hopes that they are being kept in humanitarian conditions. That was kind of her reference to the Israeli hostages in Gaza. Whatever happened to saying release them? Yeah, I was just going to say hostages. why? Why you know they're not prisoners of war. They weren't taken in the, in, in in the course of war where Hamas has the right to hold them. They do not have the right to hold they them. They really do, do not. They really do not. But it seems and, as though, um, you know, she, she was off, uh, she was meant to come there primarily for the hostages, then went to Qatar to meet with Hamas and seems to have emerged with a very, very different focus. Now not particularly concerned about the hostages. Well, I mean, I, we could even add a little bit more fuel to that particular fire because I've already mentioned that hostage families have approached the Red Cross to at least give emergency medication to some of the Israeli mm, hostages mm. are being held in Gaza, and that's kind of fallen on deaf ears. And uh, now uh, some of the released hostages have formally asked the Red Cross to at least gain access to those who remain in captivity and at least visit them, and that seems to be falling on deaf ears as well. So this whole notion of the Red Cross and their humanitarian activities and how they are supposed to be um, very uh, uh, impartial in situations like this seems to really come under question right now. And I think there are there is a lot of justification in questioning the role of the Red Cross in all that's happening right now. Maybe, I don't know if now is a good time to question it, maybe it is, but certainly I think in the aftermath of all of this, um, the role of the Red Cross needs to come under some close mm, scrutiny mm. because I think that they are well, acting in a I mean, less than impartial sort yeah, of way. If you talk about the Red Cross, if you talk about the UN and you talk about UNRWA, you know, I don't think anybody, any of those organizations has come out particularly uh, imp uh, in a particularly impressive way. No, not at all. And I think none of them have done their, their, their status um, of impartiality any good at all over what's going mm, on at the moment, mm. really not. What is the latest in Gaza? So activities in Gaza are very intense. And in fact, Israel came under a barrage of rocket fire yesterday um, during the middle of the day towards the central part of Israel, um, later in the day towards Beersheba, lots of rocket fire towards the, the Gaza envelope area. 
and there is some speculation that Hamas terrorists have decided that it's better to use their missiles than to lose them. And this is an indication that, um, that at least there's a belief that some of the missile firing capabilities of Hamas and perhaps some of their weapon stockpile is currently under threat um, by the IDF in the Khan Yunus area in particular. So um, the, the speculation is that they've decided that they would rather just fire their missiles uh, in almost any direction as much as they can, um, rather than uh, risk the fact that um, Israel might eventually take control over the missile power, missile power that they have. And um, that seems to be the case. A lot of focus at the moment on the Khan Yunus area, mm, mm. also Jabalia um, and uh, some other areas in, in Gaza. But certainly the combat has been really, really fierce. There's been a huge amount of um, ground combat in, in Gaza. Unfortunately, we saw the names of another three IDF soldiers who fell in battle yesterday, bringing the total number of IDF soldiers who have fallen in battle since the ground invasion of Gaza to 78, which is a very, very high price for um, us to have to pay. And each name is carefully counted and the family are um, really supported. And of course, our condolences go to those families who've lost their loved ones um, who are doing heroic work. I can't begin to tell you the heroes, heroism that's being on that being uh, mm, showcased mm. at the moment by our soldiers in Gaza, by the support teams around them, by those soldiers who are under rehabilitation, who've been injured and who are being. Do we know those numbers? Wait. As, as, as a matter of interest, because you know we hear about obviously the death toll, and we hear about certain incidents where soldiers have been injured and evacuated. Do we have a sense of how significant the injuries have been? Um, I can't tell you the number of people who have been injured, but I think it probably runs into a few hundred mm -hmm. um, because there have been quite a number of injuries, one, th one here and uh, uh, one place and another, both on the northern border. There was um, a case the day before yesterday where um, an anti-tank missile exploded and eight soldiers and three civilians were injured in that particular incident. Now, um, the injuries were described at the time as light to moderate, um, and we're not exactly sure what that means. It's probably shrapnel wounds, um, and probably rather than something more serious. But we don't have a very accurate up-to-date number of the people who are being rehabilitated. I was talking to somebody yesterday who described to me the rehabilitation center at Tel Shomer Hospital, um, which is uh, Israel's probably most central hospital where most of the victims are being taken. And what he's told me was that each of the um, each of the battalions in the military have their own section in the rehabilitation unit of the hospital. So the Yugolani Brigade, for example, have their own area and mm, the Kfir mm. Brigade have their own area within the rehabilitation unit at Tel Shomer Hospital. And he tells me that when people come there to support them and to help out and to do whatever they can to volunteer to help with these soldiers, those people leave more reinforced than any Incredible. reinforcements Incredible. that they could have brought to those soldiers because the amount of um, 
optimism and the amount of heroism that's being shown by our soldiers at the moment, even those who are being rehabilitated, even those who are in the most dire situations within Gaza and elsewhere, and the support teams, wherever you go, the amount of um, support and heroism that's on show at the moment is just something to be immensely proud of. And I think that for people who are outside of Israel and who don't feel this directly, you know, I think you should be aware of the fact that the state of Israel is being defended by heroes mm -hmm. and um, that the Jewish right to existence, the fight against anti-Semitism around the world is being fought every day on the streets of Israel by heroes who are really determined to make sure that um, this is, uh, uh, we have a, a, a good and a safe future for ourselves in Israel and for Jews around the world. And one of the things that struck me when I was thinking about uh, the Hamas terrorists and looking at them and their motivations versus our IDF soldiers is the fact that um, the measure of success of a Hamas terrorist is the destruction of the state of Israel. Destruction. Mm, that mm, is the mm. measure of success. To see how much they can destroy. That is how they are measured. And the measure of success of an IDF soldier is the success of the state of Israel. So we've got this absolute um, a, a difference between destroying and creating. And there is, can be little doubt that the motivation behind the uh, desire to succeed and to build and to construct and to be positive is so strong as opposed to this whole motivation of negativity and of destruction and of killing. And I think that that's really what distinguishes between our IDF soldiers and their terrorists. They are destroying and we are creating. And I think you can really feel that in the motivation levels. It's really obvious to me. It's just incredible. Just a quick question. The flooding of the tunnels with seawater, why would they, why would Israel announce to the world that they are thinking of doing this? Is, is there a so, rationale behind that? Um, it's not exactly clear what the motivation is behind the statement that Israel is, is planning the possibility of flooding the tunnels with seawater. We can clearly understand the logic. We can clearly understand why they would want to do that. It's a relatively cheap way of um, really uh, destroying the underground metro system and to destroy the tunnel system. The, the, the idea about making it public is not clear to me. And I just wonder whether it's not because they want to have the idea out there in the international community before it's done to try to test the reaction. Because if the reaction comes after it's done, it's kind of too late. Damage is done. If people react in a very negative way um, and Israel is castigated roundly, then, you know, you can't sort of undo what has been done. By the way, just as a side note, we do know that Egypt has previously used this exact tactic to flood tunnels that go underneath the border between Gaza and Egypt, that Egypt has used this tactic in the past. So um, that seems to have sort of gone relatively smoothly without too much international pressure. But we do know that Israel is very much under the spotlight. And one wonders how the international community might respond to an action like this. So I just wonder whether it's not been put out there to allow 
this idea to kind of sink in, particularly mm, with the American mm. administration. We seem to have a lot to say about all of the tactics that are being used by Israel right now, just to allow it to settle and then to use it, because I don't think that warning Hamas that this is coming can really help them in any way. I think that they are either going to be underground or they're going to be above ground, but wherever they are, they're going to be caught. And so the question is, do you want to be caught by water or do you want to be caught by artillery fire above ground? Because we do know that, that many Hamas terrorists have been killed over the last couple of days through that intensive fighting that's been going on, in particular in the area of Khan Yunus. And so I don't think that it really mm. gives any heads up to the enemy, but it potentially puts the... Um, the matter out there for the international community to absorb actually before it gets done. Howard, one of the other things that I just wanted to mention was the fact that this special medical committee mm, had been mm. established in order to review the status of the hostages. And in fact, over the last few days, a number of names have been released and declared formally as having been deceased, even though the bodies are not uh, in Israel, and they haven't been examined by medical experts. But based upon the testimonies that have been coming out from the hostages have been released, and based upon other video footage, which this team of medical experts, which includes, by the way, um, representatives from the chief rabbinate of Israel in order to apply Jewish halachic law, and members of the rabbinate, of the, uh, the military rabbinate, also involved um, in this committee, a number of names have already been released of people who are formally now believed to have died. Their families have been notified mm. that mm. they are no longer alive. I don't know what that means in terms of the traditional mourning period, whether that um, immediately triggers a period of mourning because, of course, no funeral has taken place. Um, but I do know that, for example, one of those families happens to be um, a local resident of the city where I live. And I do know that they've had an effective uh, shiver period where people have been visiting them to express condolences, even though they don't have their son to, to, to have a funeral, they don't have his body, but they have been advised that he's passed away. And in fact, the IDF did succeed even in getting one of those bodies back from Gaza late last week, and a funeral was held, and um, person who'd, who'd been killed on October the 7th and his body was being held in Gaza. The IDF, together with the um, Modi'in, managed to get that body back to Israel, and at least that family was accorded the dignity of being able to bury their loved one, and many of the other families yes. are still waiting for that. Anthony Reich, thank you. As always, fascinating Israel report. It is 8 o'clock. You can catch Anthony Reich tomorrow morning at 7.45. That Israel report was brought to you by the Blue Agency. Your Israel property is in good hands. Hi, it's Barry Cohen from the Blue Agency. Israel is currently facing one of its biggest challenges ever. All of Klal Israel is praying for the safety of our soldiers and the return of the hostages. We hope and pray that our soldiers and security forces will prevail and that they will all return home speedily and triumphant. We hold the hands of our clients and friends who have children serving in Sahal, who are protecting Israel and Jews around the world. May Hashem protect us all. Israel.